Hi, I'm Mark Priestley. After a life spent in the elite environment of the Formula One pit lane learning how to win, this podcast aims to bring that elusive, high-performance culture into your daily lives. In this week's episode, we're looking back at F1 pre-season testing. We're looking at the processes and procedures that F1 teams employ during this period and how we as individuals can use some of those same techniques to our benefit in our daily lives. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to another Pit Lane Life Lessons. Talk about how Formula One teams are so successful. Tiny things, but you only find those tiny things when you look for them. Of course, there's only one winner in every Grand Prix, so for everybody else, you haven't won, so it could be deemed that's, that's a failure. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to a brand new episode. Thanks for joining me again. Thanks for coming back, if that's what you're doing. And if you're new around here, well, then welcome along. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy what you're about to listen to. Uh, in today's episode, as I said in that introduction there, I want to focus down on some of the things that Formula One teams have been doing and will continue to do after the F1 pre-season testing and before they get to the first race. Techniques that they use specifically during this period, but also techniques they use as the season goes on. Techniques that help Formula One teams become the elite level organisations that they are and how we can benefit from some of those exact same techniques in our everyday lives to deal with some of the challenges that we face every single day every single week. These are techniques that I have learned, that I have used both in the Formula One team and in the many years since leaving. So I'm going to share some of those insights with you during this episode. But before we get to that, I want to do what I always do and go back through some of the days of my week just gone, some of, some of the notes that I've put into my diary, into my journal, and reflect on some of those because there are lessons buried deep in there as well that I hope you'll benefit from too. Now, just before we go any further, I'd love it if you could take a moment to hit subscribe or follow wherever you're listening to this podcast. And look, one thing I want to really ask of all of you this week, if you'd be kind enough to do so, I am seeing thousands and thousands of you listen to this podcast, which is brilliant. I love watching it grow like that. However, amongst those thousands and thousands of people listening, I have just a small handful of reviews, particularly in the Apple podcast store. That's the one where reviews really do fuel the algorithm that pushes this podcast further and wider and to more and more people. So I would really love it. I would ask you from the bottom of my heart, because it does mean the world to me, I would ask you if you can spare five minutes. And that's all it will take. Not even that at the end of this podcast to give me a rating. And if you've enjoyed it, I'd love it if you give it a five star rating. But really crucially, could you just spare a few moments to write a quick review? Just a few words. That's all it will take to perhaps inspire somebody else to listen to this show and perhaps share it on again. And that's how the, the whole thing will grow. So look, if you can do that for me, well, I will be eternally grateful. If you want to put your social media handle in the review, even better, because then I can come and shout you out on my own social channels uh, to say thank you. I read every single one, believe me. I promise you that I read every single review that's put on there. So look, don't feel like it's a wasted few minutes of your life. I will read it. And if you can put your Instagram or your Twitter handle in there, I'll respond to you. Believe me. So look, there's the shout out for that. Thank you. I appreciate that of anybody who's willing to do it for me. Let's move on with the show. Um, this week, I want to start, I guess, a week ago, like I so often do. Um, for those who are new around here, I make notes in my diary that I write every single day when I think there's a lesson that could be explored further. And one week ago, I'm recording this on a Sunday. So one Sunday previous to this one. Um, as I do every Sunday, I go and watch my daughter play football. My son plays on a Saturday. My daughter plays on a Sunday morning. The under 12s girls football team for our local area is what she plays in. And the reason that I thought this is noteworthy and the note that I wrote was learning from girls football. And there is so much that we can learn that I learn and I want to share with you off the back of watching my daughter and her teammates play football every single Sunday. This is a group of girls who didn't have a team, didn't play football, had never played football, most of them, just two years ago. My daughter had zero interest in football, but off the back of the Women's World Cup, there was a swell in popularity for the sport and our local club started a girls team. And whilst my daughter had zero interest in joining that team at the time, we sort of 
gave her a little gentle nudge. We pushed her and said, look, just go and try it out. And if you don't like it, that's fine. You don't have to stay. Well, I think a number of other parents did the same things and their daughters did go along and immediately they loved it. They loved the game, the sport. They loved the camaraderie that it that it generated between this group of girls, many of which had never met each other before. They gradually, over time, formed great bonds and friendships, and they are now the tightest group of girls that you will ever come across. They have formed friendships, many of which I know will last for life. And when I go and watch them play football every Sunday, I see some of the finest teamwork you will see anywhere. I have spent the last 10 years of my life since leaving the McLaren Formula One team, traveling the world, speaking to some of the world's biggest organizations. I've worked with the likes of Google, with Facebook, with Unilever, Procter & Gamble. I have worked with a whole man you could go on and on, household names that you all know. I've worked with some of the biggest organizations in the world. And every single time that I go and work with some of these big organizations about trying to build high performing teams, how to become better, more successful by whichever metric they want to measure that by, to become market leaders in their individual fields, to become elite level, to become high performers. That's what they're all after. That's what everybody's searching for. Essentially, what they're all searching for is what my daughter and her 11-year-old friends have in the under-12 girls football team of our local area. And the reason that I say that is because every time I go and watch them, whether they win, lose or draw, they have the biggest smiles on their faces. I see a support network amongst those players that I rarely see anywhere else in any organisation or anywhere in the world. They will do anything for each other. Now, when this group first got together, as I said, many of them have never played football before. They lost every single game by huge margins, 7, 8, 9, 10 nil sometimes. And yet they all walked off the pitch, hugging each other, smiling, trying to figure out what they could do better next time. Now, a huge amount of credit, of course, goes to the coaches who are absolutely brilliant at what they do. They have created the most incredible environment for these girls to thrive within. The parents have contributed to that. The girls themselves, of course, play a huge role in that. But no matter what happens on the football field, if somebody makes a mistake, I see girls running the length of the pitch to go and put an arm round one of their teammates. If somebody scores, they all celebrate together. And it doesn't actually matter what the result is because that's not why they're doing it. They turn up every week for training on a Thursday night, no matter what the weather. And I promise you, you will not stop my daughter going to football training on a Thursday night, even if it's the middle of winter and it's freezing cold, it's pouring down a rain or even snowing. She will be there. And the reason she'll be there and the reason all of her teammates will be there is because they love it. They absolutely love what they do. They don't turn up on a Thursday night because there's a chance of winning a trophy. They don't turn up because they're going to get some points. There's nothing in it in terms of reward, in terms of external reward or remuneration for it. They do it because of the intrinsic motivation. They all have to be there. They all absolutely share a passion for what they're doing. And so when I travel the world speaking to these huge companies, these successful organisations by so many people's measurements, some of the world's biggest, I use the model of my daughter's football team under 12s as the basis for the perfect team. Because they are motivated by one thing, and that is a passion for what they're doing. They all share exactly that same passion. They love each other's company. They love working together with each other. If they win, that's great. But if they lose, they still love being there with each other. They love the process of what they do even more than the outcome or the result of any football match they might take part in. That is a very special environment that the coaches at this club have created for the girls. It's a very special bond and one that stands out to me because it's so rare. 
but it's also the key to absolutely having the success that everybody else tends to look from the outside and sees as being the measurements for those successes. Like we discussed in a podcast just a few weeks ago, you can measure success in a number of different ways. These girls are successful because every single one of them absolutely loves what they do. Every Thursday night, every Sunday morning, they love it. And you know what's amazing about that? And this absolutely applies to any business, to any company, to any group of people in any walk of life, quite frankly. If the focus, like it is for these under 12 football girls, if the focus is on enjoying the process, if the focus is on getting the most out of going through the training procedure, going through the match process, working together, creating these bonds between each other, working for each other and with each other. If the focus is on all of those things, is doing those things the best you can do them, the results, the results of these football matches will start to take care of themselves. Because yes, in year one, these girls had never played football before. Many of them had never even kicked a football before. Quite frankly, they were awful in terms of their footballing ability. But of course, that was to be expected. They were starting out, they were rookies. And gradually, over a period of just two years, nearly three years, this group have formed such tight bonds with each other. They have formed such an elite-level team amongst themselves that the results are now starting to take care of themselves. And these girls today, just almost three years after starting this whole process together as absolute newbies, are fighting for the top position in the league. But it's not their driving force. It's not the thing that gets them out of bed on a Sunday morning to turn up and play. They have so much passion for what they do. And that is the thing that drives them that they are not focused on this external motivation, motivating factor of getting the results. It's an incredibly inspiring thing to watch. And I get to do this for free every Sunday morning. And I feel privileged to be able to witness this. Because it's such an inspiring set of circumstances, an inspiring set of girls, an inspiring set of coaches who are working so well, for free, of course, volunteering their time and their services, but doing such an incredible job that I, in my professional sense, where I'm going to speak to these world's biggest organisations, am using some of their coaching methods to pass on in terms of how these big companies can be better at the business that they're in. Isn't that incredible? The reason I'm telling you this within the context of this podcast, like everything in this podcast, is because there are lessons here that we can all take from this, that we can all learn. There are a number of lessons from what I've just told you. The first one I think is pretty obvious in that if you're motivated by external factors, you will never, ever be as good as if you're motivated by intrinsic factors, by intrinsic motivations. Looking at things that make you feel fulfilled, make you happy, fill you with joy and a sense of purpose. Those are the things that each of those girls have on a Sunday morning that drives them on to be the best footballers they can be at this stage of their footballing careers. It's not about winning the league. Of course, they want to win games and it feels great when they win. But what's almost even more inspiring is when they lose or when they draw in the last moment when the opposition score an equaliser. Heartbreaking. I look on and see the parents more upset than the kids. That's not because they don't want to win. Of course they do and they are upset. But what they do do is support each other. Every one of them will put their arm around another one who's feeling a bit down, feeling a bit sad. They'll pick them up. And within five minutes of the final whistle going, even if they've lost a really key match, they will be laughing with each other. They'll be hugging each other. They'll be smiling for a team photo. And they'll be discussing what they can do better next time. Now, we can all learn from that. How many people are going through life today motivated by external, extrinsic factors, like trying to generate wealth, like trying to make more money, get more followers on your social channels, 
get more likes to an Instagram post. Having people like you because you want to be more popular. Now, those things, they can generate some success, but not the kind of success that these girls have in their team. A few weeks ago, I told you that I was one of the most successful people you will ever meet. And that was based not on how much money I have or how big my house is or what kind of car I drive, not even what kind of job I have. It was based on my deep internal happiness that I have and that I've cultivated over many years. I'm very proud of it. It stands me in really good stead for many of the things that I go on to take on in terms of challenges in my business life. The thing that drives me is enjoying the process of whatever it is I'm doing. How many people can honestly say they get up for work in the morning and look forward to it and enjoy the process? Now, don't get me wrong, that doesn't have to be only achievable if you have your dream job. You can enjoy a day at the office in whatever role you have. It's up to you how you go through your day. It's up to you how you interact with your colleagues, what kind of positive spin or negative spin you put on the tasks that you have in front of you, on the interactions that you have with the people around you. You're in control of those things. These girls in the under 12s football team make choices to spin whatever situation they're in into a positive one. If the keeper makes an absolute howler and lets in a goal and the team suffer, nobody, I mean nobody, blames her. Nobody argues with her. Nobody criticises her. In fact, what they do is they can see that she's down. She feels terrible. And so they all run to her and give her a great big hug. I can't tell you how inspiring that is to watch from the sidelines. Now, my son, I've got twins, so he's the same age. He's also under 12s in the boys team at the same club. They play on a Saturday. Now, some of the players in that team are incredibly talented. There are some very, very good footballers in that squad. You know, I'd like to think my son is one of them. Very talented indeed. On a skillful level, many of them have been playing for so much longer than the girls have that actually many of them have some insane level skills. But I'll tell you what, they do not have the team bond that the girls have when I go and watch on a Sunday. Now, they are a great team. They're doing incredibly well, but they don't have that same level of passion for what they're doing and for each other that the girls have when I go and watch them just 24 hours later. I see the boys criticising each other. I see them complaining at the ref sometimes. I see them throwing water bottles around when they come off the pitch. I don't see that from the girls. Now you could look at it and say, well, look, the boys have a massive passion and drive for what they do. So, of course, they're going to be upset. And absolutely, I don't mind seeing those things. I love seeing passion. All of this centres around passion, by the way. But the girls focus that passion in a slightly different way. They have empathy for the people around them, no matter what the circumstances. The boys don't have that to the same level. Now, I don't want to criticise the boys too much because they're a great bunch of lads. They're a great bunch of coaches and they're doing incredibly well. But it's a really interesting comparison that I go and see the boys on a Saturday, the girls on a Sunday, and I get to compare the two very obviously. And what I see from the girls is something that we can all strive towards, that companies around the world can all strive towards. And the lesson that I want us to take from this, apart from this idea of being motivated by internal motivations, things that we are passionate about. And to put that into some context, the girls turn up at football on a Sunday because they love the game. But really what they do is they love playing that game with the people that they play it with. You won't get my daughter switching the TV on to watch any other football match. She's not a general football fan, but she absolutely loves doing what she does with those girls on a Sunday morning. Now, that's an interesting difference. She's hugely passionate about playing on a Sunday, has absolutely no passion for turning the telly on to watch a game on a Sunday afternoon. Whereas my son absolutely will. You can't tear him away from the TV if there's any kind of football on. Now, 
Nothing wrong with either approach, but the fact that my daughter loves what she does so much because it's with those girls, with those coaches in that team. That motivation is what generates ultimately the success that they're all starting to now achieve. Not because they're so focused on winning the external motivation, motivating factors like winning the league, winning a cup, winning a trophy. Those things look after themselves when the internal motivations are as strong as they are for these girls. And that is where we can all take lessons from. If we can find the thing that we are passionate about and throw ourselves into that, and it doesn't have to be your job, you know, ultimately it's great if it can be, but it might be something else. It might be something you're passionate about outside of work. It might be a sport. It might be food. It might be your pets. It might be your kids. It might be your romantic partner. But throwing yourself into something purely because you're passionate about it without really too much care in the world about what the outcome of that might be. Doing it for the joy that it gives you will ultimately generate the success that so many other people will be looking from the outside and measuring you by. But if you're motivated by the external factors, you're not going to be throwing yourself into the process, into the activity with the same level of passion that you would be if it was that that was your driving force. People just don't work that way. You've got half an eye on what might come at the end of this journey. You're never going to have a full focus on the journey itself. And ultimately, we spend so much longer on the journey than we ever do benefiting from the outcome of that journey. When you climb to Mount Everest, the top of Mount Everest, you spend a huge amount of time climbing. It's hard. It's a slog. It's a sacrifice. You suffer on the way up. But if you focus yourself on that, if you focus on each footstep and making it the best it can be, that is how you will make it to the top. And then when you get there, you'll get those incredible views. But they will be over in a fraction of the time it took you to get up there. If you're only focused on that end goal of getting the views at the top of the mountain, there's a high chance you won't even make it because you're not focused on the process that you need so much energy and focus on to even get you to the top in the first place. If you want to get the best out of a team of people at work, out of your friend or social group, out of members of your family around you, if you want to get the best out of those people, if you want to get the most out of the experience that you might share with those people, find the thing that you're all passionate about. Most people who are connected, friend groups, romantic partners, even work colleagues to some extent, will have a shared passion. Quite often with a romantic partner, for example, or friend groups, it's a passion that you all share that brought you together in the first place. If you can focus on that, because it's the sort of thing that we tend to lose focus of over time, if you can find that again, if you can regenerate the focus within that shared passion It'll be the thing that draws you even closer together. And as a company, as a business, finding the shared passion or generating a shared passion amongst your workforce is one of the single biggest factors that will generate success for your business, that will generate an elite level team. It turns out that the under 12 girls football team from my local area has it in abundance. But it's also the thing that so many companies are desperately striving towards. It's the holy grail for so many managing directors, CEOs. That's what they want from their team. And yet it's a difficult thing to find. Think about us as a community of Formula One fans. We have a shared passion of Formula One. That's why you follow me on social media. It's why many of you will be listening to this podcast. It's why I love to hear some of your thoughts and views on the things that happen in the world of Formula One. I love it because I'm passionate about it. And so are you. So we have a shared passion between us that draws us together and enables us to have brilliantly insightful, detailed and passionate conversations on that topic. If you have great bonds between people, if you're working towards a common goal with that level of bond and passion between you, the outcomes can be extraordinary. So I would encourage you 
Whether it's your romantic partner and you're looking to rejuvenate a relationship, find the shared passion that you both had or have between you. Rekindle it. Go over it again. Dig it up. Explore it. If you're both passionate about it, you will generate some incredible conversation, some incredible interaction around it. And the results that come from those kind of interactions can be extraordinary, can be remarkable. Believe me, I witness it every Sunday morning. I've witnessed it in the Formula One team because for the very same reason, we all have a shared passion for Formula One, for the history of our organisation. And it's that passion that we all managed to tap into over time that generated much of the success that the McLaren organisation has enjoyed over the years. And this leads me on to another note that I have written in my diary. And this note simply says passion. Now, I told you before that I was going to spend much of last week in New York talking to a huge brand, a brand you all know, a brand with a huge amount of history over 100 years. And I was going to talk to them about how they turn their workforce in a different direction, get everybody pulling in the same direction towards the new goal that they have. Now, I had a great trip. It was lovely. I had a really nice time out there. I love the city. But before I went, I thought as part of my research, I'm going to go and go into one of their flagship stores in London just to experience a little bit of the brand. So I went in, I spoke to a sales rep. I asked the sales rep to talk me through some of their products. And the moment I did that without telling her who I was or what I was going to do, her face lit up. Her enthusiasm for the products she was describing was unbelievable. The passion she had for the brand that she was working for was so rare that it absolutely smacked me in the face and I couldn't ignore it. I went away from that exchange, from that interaction where she was talking about the history of the brand, what it means, what the products mean to the people who buy them. This passion was unbridled. And it lit up her face. She wasn't doing it simply to sell another product. She was doing it because she genuinely believed in what she was saying. I could tell that. And I spoke to her for a good five or ten minutes. And eventually I told her what I was going to do. And even off the back of that, she continued to gush about how great the the company were, how they looked after their staff how they made her feel important and how she felt part of the story of this brand that had generated so much success over so many years. Now, off the back of the conversation, I flew to New York and I used that interaction as part of my process, part of my work with this company. Because one of the things I had to say to them was, look, you've got passion in your organisation. I went into a, 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 a store in New York as well and the same thing happened. The staff at this company were passionate about what they did. And when I started to dig deeper with the senior management of this organisation, that is a very deliberate, a very conscious effort. They spend time training the people that work for them in every level about the history of their brand. They teach them about the story. They tell them and they convince them and they encourage them to think that they are just a part of this story's evolution. They are the next chapter of this incredible brand. Now, what an amazing thing to have. Their problem and their challenge was that this lady that I spoke to, she's on the front line. She's dealing with the product. She's dealing with the customers who buy those products every single day. It's much easier for her to connect with the products that this particular company produces. For the guy who works in the canteen, in the restaurant of this company, for the lady who works in accounts, it's much more difficult to connect because they rarely ever actually see the products. They are sitting in an office which has very little connection to the end product, to the store, to the front line. They have very little connection to the consumer of that product. And so they don't get to see in the same way the passion, the exchange, the interaction, the emotion attached to people buying that product. And it was that 
which is what we had to work on in New York. And in doing so, as I touched on last week, we had to draw on some of the things that I've experienced at McLaren during my time there. In that, for many people at McLaren, they had the same problem. They never went to a racetrack. They were working away, sometimes in a windowless room, two floors down underneath the base level of our factory. And they rarely even saw a racing car, let alone a racetrack. Connecting those people to the end product was all about tapping into the history, the passion, the success that had gone by, the story that was the McLaren Formula One team. Ultimately, it was about generating a passion for what everybody in the organisation was doing. A passion for what their part of the story meant to the bigger picture. People had to have a passion for it to get the best out of them, to get the most out of them. To enable them to contribute everything they could contribute to the bigger picture, to the process of trying to win a Grand Prix. Because if you were sweeping the floors in the basement levels of the McLaren factory, MTC, just like the guy at NASA who sweeping the floor or cleaning the toilets, and when someone says, what are you doing? He says, I'm sending people to the moon. We need the guys who are sweeping the floors in the basement level of McLaren when somebody asks to say, I'm trying to win a Grand Prix. I'm trying to help McLaren to win the world championship, to be the best F1 team that we can be. We need that guy to go away from work on a Friday night and be with his friends or be down the pub and be so proud of what he does, so passionate about what he does that he shouts about it to his friends. He's proud to tell people what he does for a living. That's what this girl in the store that I spoke to in London, that's the feeling she had. She was so proud she would, I'm sure, have gone home and be telling everybody who she worked for and what it meant. The lesson here in all of this is that passion is at the very heart of all of these things. Passion is why the girls in the under-12s football team are now starting to see success on the pitch in terms of results. Passion is why they have generated friendships that I'm sure will last a lifetime. Passion is why the parents end up welling up at the end of a game no matter what the result because they see how tight these girls are with each other, how supportive they are of each other. Passion is how we win Grand Prix, both from the driver's seat, from the mechanics and engineers in the garage, but also from the hundreds, if not thousands of people who never ever even go to the racetrack. If they don't have passion, they are simply going through the motions of doing a job that they don't really care about. And it's generating that passion, it's finding that passion, it's tapping into that passion that is the ultimate key to success. The coaches in the under-12 girls football team have smashed that. They've done that by making the training sessions fun, making the entire process fun, by building relationships with every one of the girls and making sure the girls build relationships with each other. They get together outside of the official practices and training sessions and matches. They hang out together. They hang out online together. They have supported each other through some difficult times on and off the pitch. At 11 years old. That's passion. That's a passion for what they do and who they do it with. And who knows, these girls might just be the first part of an incredible story. At McLaren, we had to tap into the history that was the McLaren Formula One team. The iconic moments that McLaren had been part of. The iconic cars that we lined up along the boulevard in that factory. The imagery that we put around the inside of the company to inspire people. To remind them that they were just custodians of that McLaren shirt. That McLaren jersey that they were wearing at that time. And to appreciate and respect the people that had been part of that story before they had. Now, these girls have just started out. They're all new to this sport, but who knows what might come in the future. They might be creating a story that others will tap into in the future. That will inspire others to go on and do even bigger and better things. Just like the women who chained themselves to railings to fight for their right to vote. 
Just like Lewis Hamilton, who's breaking down barriers to entry in terms of motorsport and Formula One for people from minority backgrounds. So many inspirational stories that if you can tap into them and use them to help motivate people to start something new or to become better at something, to generate a passion, that is invaluable. And it is the holy grail to success, both in sport, in business and for you and I in our every single day. And I encourage you to think more about the things that I've said. Explore them in your own world. Think about what unites you with the people around you. What is the thing, the shared passion that you might be able to tap into and explore and develop further? And who knows what might come from those things? Have a think about it. I'd love to know how you get on. I'd love to know your thoughts on all of those things. Drop me a message. Now, I want to move this on to the Formula One testing that many of you will have seen and watched and followed along. It's the three days in Bahrain we've just happened to have had this week. Uh, managed to watch much of it when I got back from New York. And it is the last three days that any of the teams will have before we get into the actual race weekend. Now, the reason that I wanted to tap into the Formula One testing and the note that I wrote is, uh, let me see, the note that I wrote simply says debrief like an F1 team. Now, I have titled this podcast something very similar because debriefing like an F1 team, I think, is one of the most valuable lessons that I have learnt from my time inside the Formula One team. And what I mean by all of this is that it's particularly prevalent around testing because testing is, let's take these three days in Bahrain, that's three days where the only goal is to learn. They are learning a huge amount, collecting data, gaining expertise, learning about their new cars, learning how to drive them, how to uh, operate them, how to tweak the setup to make them handle better, how to get a lap time out of them. Everything's about learning. There's no goal of winning a race, of getting a certain lap time. This is all about an understanding of your car. It's about learning. And then at the end of every single day, and again at the end of the test, and of course this happens all the way through the season, at the end of a Grand Prix weekend, they have a debrief. Now, debrief, its definition, its very definition is to ask questions of somebody who has been through an experience or completed a program or a mission or an undertaking. So when you've been through something, ask questions of that person or those people to try and learn more about it, to try and uncover the things that you've learned, the things that you could potentially do better next time. That's a debrief. Now, Formula One teams do this in a very scientific way. They do it every single day, every evening off the back of uh, a day's testing, off the back of qualifying or a race weekend. They debrief. And what it means in Formula One terms is that the engineering team, perhaps the management, certain elements of the, the chief mechanic, for example, the driver, of course, they all get together. Most teams now do it through the intercom system within their engineering room. And they will go through a set procedure of asking themselves questions about the way the day has gone and about what they have learnt. Now, they will be broken down into different segments. It might be different areas of the car. Different departments within the team will have set questions they need answering to be able to move forward with their development programmes. The drivers, of course, will have their own questions based on what they felt in the car. The race engineer will have certain questions about what impact certain changes made to the car and how the driver uh, assessed those. Those questions are structured and they go through that process and it can take quite a long time. It's very detailed and of course all of that, those questions and the answers that come from them are recorded and they can all be correlated to data. So does the data back up what the driver is saying? Or rather, some differences? Are they diverging slightly? Does the data say one thing, but the driver's seemingly feeling something different? These are all things that can then be explored further in the forensic level of detail, of course, that Formula One teams do everything. And the reason that this is important for us, the reason that this is something that I now do every single day, 
not to the same extent that an F1 team does, but I debrief every day. I do it, of course, in the form of journaling. I take my diary and I write down either every night or very first thing the next morning, my thoughts about what happened on that particular day. I ask myself some very specific questions. Now, the main question I have an over, this is the thing that I now end all of these podcasts with, is the phrase that I have said to you many times. This phrase I like to try my best to live my life by, which is do the right things and do the things right. Now, in the beginning, I just asked myself that question. Did I do the things, the, the right things today? Did I make the right choices throughout my day? And if I did make the right choices, or even if I didn't, did I do the things that I chose to do? Did I do them right? Did I do them as well as they could be done? And of course, the answer in the most part to those things is that always there's room for improvement. I could have done them better. I could have made better choices. And even once I made those choices, I could have executed them probably in a better way. So then you start delving deeper as to what you could have done differently, how you could have done it differently. Now, today I do things I still use that question. I still ask myself that question every single day. I look back on my day and I try and ask myself that question. But I also ask myself things like, what am I grateful for? So part of my journaling experience, and this has changed my life, and I would encourage you all to give this a go. This is a hugely therapeutic procedure to go through. Gratitude journaling is a thing. Many people do it now, and it has really helped to make me, to set me up for the day. Part of the reason I do it in the mornings quite often now is because it's a great way to start your day. Start your day by writing down three things that make you grateful, that you're grateful for. I mean, it's an amazingly empowering process to go through. We've all got things we should be grateful for, but actually, how many times do we overlook them? How many times do we take them for granted? Writing them down means you put focus on them. It means that they are there in front of you. You have to go through the effort of putting pen to paper. And therefore, you recognise them more than if you just skip over it in your mind. I ask myself the question, what did I do to help people today? I ask that every single day and I answer it every single day. And sometimes I struggle to find an answer to that. Sometimes I think to myself, well, what did I do? And sometimes it gets tenuous and I start to really have to scrape the barrel to find something that I might have done that could have helped somebody today. Because sometimes we all go through days where we might just do things for ourselves. But in reality, if you look hard enough and if you try hard enough, there will be something that you have done that I hope will have helped somebody. It might be a tweet you sent that hopefully might inspire somebody. It might make somebody feel better. You might have sent somebody a text message asking them how they're doing. You might have just done the dishes because you were there. And even though it wasn't your turn, you thought it'd be a nice thing to do. If you break your day down into an almost infinite number of sections, tiny sectors, mini sectors, like they break a Formula One track down into. There will always be something in there that you can do or hopefully have done to help somebody, even in the smallest possible way. So recognise those things, ask that question and then write the answers down. These things have a powerful effect on your mindset heading into a day. And of course, this idea of asking yourself the questions of did you do the right things and did you do those things right is still hugely valid. Did you make the right choices? And if you didn't, why not? What do you think was it that made you go down the wrong path and make the wrong choice? Recognising those things, understanding why you might have made a wrong choice. That's fine. We all make them. We make them every single day. Nobody goes through life without making wrong choices. And reality is that we shouldn't even do that. There's a whole episode on taking risks. The nature of risks is that many of them don't work out. You get them wrong. But when you take the risk and even if it goes wrong, you delve into it. You ask yourself the question, why did I make that choice that ultimately didn't work out? And by delving deep into the answer to that question is where some of your biggest learnings will be found. The debrief at the end of a day's testing for a Formula One team is a massively valuable process to go through, both because 
It, of course, uncovers the learnings. It finds things that were done well, things that weren't done so well, and perhaps how they can improve on those moving forward. But it's also a really therapeutic exercise for everybody involved. It means a a big offload of the weight that might be on your mind. The driver will have all sorts of worries, questions, concerns, things that he wants to tell everybody about. He can unload those in the debrief. The engineer, similarly, will have all manner of questions for both the driver, but also all other people within that organisation who might contribute to the car and the way that it operates. These are all things that are weighing on people's minds and the debrief is the moment that they get to unload them all, ask the questions and get answers back in return. Now that can have exactly the same effect, the same impact on us. How many times we go through a day building up, building up questions, building up thoughts, worries, concerns in our mind, and yet we don't have anywhere to vent those necessarily. Or we deliberately try and hold them in because we don't want to upset anybody. We don't want to bring anybody else down with our own concerns. Maybe we don't have anybody around us at that time to share some of those with. Write them down in a journal. Go through your own debrief process at the end of a day or at the start of a day before you start anything else. Write down those questions. You'll find answers once you start writing them down. Ask yourself the questions that you've got on your mind. Write down your concerns and worries. Write down the things that you did well yesterday. Write down what you think you can do better. If you can identify things that you could do better and write them into a book, you've got a blueprint for how to go through this following day better than the way you went through yesterday. How valuable is that? It's like having an instruction manual to improve on what's gone before. An instruction manual that you are writing as you go through your life. One that's constantly evolving, hopefully in a really positive way, where you can become better and better and better at the things you're trying to improve on. That could be work, it could be relationships, it could be the way you are around your family, the way you are around your house. All manner of things can be improved upon when you understand how well or otherwise you operated on those same things the day before. And debriefing yourself at the end of a day or at the start of a new day is a great way to do that. And I encourage you all to give it a try. It takes me 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes every morning. No more than that. 15 minutes it takes me. Now, Nobody can tell me they don't have 15 minutes. You all, I'm sure, check your phones for more than 15 minutes every morning before you start anything. Get a diary out. Write down your thoughts about what happened the day before. Write down the things you're grateful for. Write down how you helped somebody, where you could have done better. Write down some of your concerns and questions. And they don't have to be in the form of a long form script. It doesn't have to be thousands of words. These could be notes that remind you, shorthand notes that remind you of what it is that's on your mind, that bring it to the forefront. Celebrate the things you did well. Identify the things that you could do better. And then as the day moves forward, work towards those. The following day, write down how you responded to the things that you could have done better the day before. Did you act upon those things? Did you improve on them? Did you try something that still didn't work? So perhaps you've got to go in a different direction. Think of it as a debrief in the same way that an F1 team debriefs at the end of every single day. They do it for a very, very good reason because the sole purpose of a Formula One team is to constantly strive for better. It's to improve every single time that car goes out. Every time the team walks into a garage in the morning, they need to do a better job than the job they did yesterday. Every team striving to do that. Because in Formula One, as in life, we have a saying, if you stand still, you get left behind. If you're not looking to improve, the others around you will be and you will suddenly disappear off the bottom of the leaderboard. Take that as a metaphor for life, as well as business, as well as Formula One. I encourage you to go ahead and do these things. Give them a try. What what have you got to lose? 15 minutes of your day that you probably, if you're honest, already waste on doing something that's almost irrelevant in this sense. 
Dedicate 15 minutes of your day, buy yourself a book, a scrap of paper is all you really need and scribble down your thoughts and your debrief from the day before and let's see if we can all just improve incrementally every time we start a new day. Well, I had so much that I wanted to get through <laughs> this week. I had so many notes in my diary that I haven't managed to get through and, and that's often the case, but I try and focus on the ones that I feel will offer most value to you. And I hope that this idea of debriefing your life, debriefing every day, like an F1 team debriefs after pre-season testing, will offer huge value to you. It's offered huge value to me. I haven't done this every day of my life like nobody has, but it's something I've discovered over the past couple of years to be very valuable to me. It may be very valuable to you in the end. Give it a try. Do it in the way that suits you. And this other idea of finding a passion, doing things based on a passion, using a passion that you might be able to find and link into, a passion that you can share with others to be great at whatever it is you're doing, to enjoy the process that you might be going through. Passion can generate joy. It can help to generate happiness, but it can also generate the success that so many people are extrinsically and sometimes completely entirely motivated by. If you can be motivated by the passion that gets you out of bed in the morning for whatever it is you're going through, whatever thing you're attacking that day, if you can find that as the motivation to enjoy the process, to make the process as fulfilling and meaningful as you can for you, the success will surely follow. I'm going to have to round it up there for this week, folks. I really love doing these podcasts. I, I know that so many of you are enjoying them too, and that really does mean the world to me. I love it that you're letting me know that. So any of the messages, believe me, if I haven't responded to you, I mean, I'd be surprised, to be quite honest, because I respond to almost all of them that I can, but I appreciate them all. I read them all. I would love, as I said at the beginning, if you can spare a moment to Drop me a rating and a review, particularly in the Apple Podcast Store. Follow or subscribe in any of the other podcast stores. Drop me a message on social. Tag me in it. Share the podcast around. Any of those things, honestly, I will, I'll be your best friend forever. <laughs> those things mean the world to me. They mean the world to the podcast as well. And ultimately, I want this to be seen and heard by as many people as possible. That we can share and grow this community like I said earlier on, that we all have a passion for. And with thousands of people listening and yet just a handful of reviews, it feels like we can do much better. So if you're happy to do your bit to help grow the podcast, well, I would massively and really appreciate it. Listen, have a great week, folks. In just a few days time, Formula One is back racing again in 2022 with new cars, with new circuits, with new rules, but with the same passion that we all share for it. Have a great week and do the right things. Do the things right. Ta-da.